You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us into your likeness. This we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, please keep your bulletin open to the reading from the first epistle of St. John on page 2, so that you can follow along with me. What assurance can we have of the good news of Jesus Christ? How can we know that what we believe, what we've staked our life upon, is true and is good? This is one of the questions that John is answering for us in our passage today. He explains that you can have assurance in the Christian message. And you can have assurance of your salvation, the forgiveness of your sins. Well, John begins his letter uh, back in the very beginning of time. Look at verse 1 with me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This word of life, which was with the Father in the beginning of time, has been manifested the eternal has become historical. This is not a new word of life that John is making up. It's the same message that has been in existence since before the creation of the world. It's not an abstract or a theoretical word either. It's common to hear people say that to be a Christian uh, is to take a leap of faith or that to believe the Christian message is to have blind faith. But John tells us otherwise. The word of life has been revealed to him and he's proclaiming it to us even now. And this word that was made manifest, the disciples saw it with their own eyes. They heard it with their own ears. They touched it with their own two hands. What is this word of life? It is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is a life that was with the Father in the beginning of creation. He became man, the incarnate one, the very manifestation of God. The Christian message is not mythical, is not a fairy tale. It is empirical, based on eyewitness testimony, and it is historical. This is what Paul tells King Agrippa when he's on trial in Acts 26. Paul says, The king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. We don't need to be ashamed of our faith or of the Christian message. The time is coming when we'll be tested, uh, just as many of our brothers and sisters all over the world are being uh, persecuted and tested. There are tough times ahead for those who worship the one true and living God. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. That we are those who have faith and are saved. You can have confidence in the Christian message. You can have assurance that it's true because it's about a real historical person, Jesus of Nazareth, and the events of his life. He really did walk on this earth, and there are many accounts that testify to this fact. He really did die, and he really did rise again on the third day, as we've just celebrated. But our confidence in the truth of the gospel doesn't mean that we can go around just bashing people over the head with our message. 
but rather speaking the truth in love, we can confidently proclaim the word of life, that they might hear it and that they might be saved. And that is what John is concerned to do here, to proclaim this word of life to you and to me. But his proclamation is not an end in itself. The proclamation itself is not the goal. John is proclaiming this message for a specific purpose, which he tells us in verses 3 and 4. Listen to these verses again. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John proclaims to us this message so that we too may have fellowship with him. But even more than that, so that we might be brought into the fellowship that he has with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. The proclamation of the word of life is not an end in itself, but it leads to something much greater. Fellowship with God, and ultimately it leads to joy. Fellowship is such an important idea in the Bible. It's what we were made for, and it's what we're ultimately heading towards. But sin comes in and destroys our relationships. It destroys our relationship with God, and it destroys our relationships with each other. Sin tells us that we don't need fellowship with God. We don't need fellowship with others. Sin tells us that the self is the only one that matters, and it makes us determined to make our self-project the best it can possibly be. But the Bible says that you and I are made for relationship. Ultimately, we are made for relationship with God and through that relationship with each other. Oh, how good and pleasant it is when brethren live together in unity. In 2017, I took a solo road trip across the United States from here to California. Uh, I took a month of my summer vacation to do it, uh, stopping at uh, various cities and uh, um, kind of tourist traps along the way. And it was a great trip. I loved it. I did so many great things. Grand Canyon, Yosemite, California, uh, all sorts of different places. But you know what I learned in the first week of driving? I took four weeks. You know what I learned in the first week? I got really lonely. Driving all by myself, staying in hotels, I got really lonely. I started reaching out to anyone that I could really find, you know, shopkeepers, servers in the restaurants. I was just trying to chat to them as much as I could. I started having conversations with any stranger that was willing to spend some time with me. I realized very quickly that I was not meant to be alone. Even despite how much of an introvert I really am, how much I love being by myself, I experienced so deeply on this road trip that I was made for fellowship, for relationship. We need each other. That is why the church, the gathering of the body of Christ, is so important. What we're doing right now as we gather together, all together in one place, around God, to hear his word, this is a taste of what heaven is going to be like when we're all gathered around the throne together, worshipping the Lamb who was slain. It's in this fellowship with God and with each other that joy is ultimately found. The world will try and tell you that Christianity is a killjoy and that the pleasures of this life are far better. But this is a complete and total lie. Don't buy that. True joy, ultimate joy, is only found in fellowship with God, built upon the foundation of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if the gospel is not the foundation of your fellowship, then it's just empty 
useless and joyless. Brothers and sisters, you can have assurance of these things because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, the eternally begotten Son of the Father, who took on humanity, and we have eyewitness testimony from those who heard, who saw, and who touched him. You can also have assurance of your salvation because for those who put their trust in Jesus through repentance and faith, you can have confidence that your sins are forgiven. We see this in verse 5 onwards. John begins by explaining that the the fundamental principle that stands behind uh, all of this at the heart of this message, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is totally true, good and pure. He's the standard by which everything else is measured. In him there is no false. There's no falseness, there's no evil, there's nothing impure. But the problem is that we are not. We so often deceive ourselves. And this can happen in three ways, as John highlights it. By thinking that we can have fellowship with God while remaining in unrepentant sin, by saying that we have no sin, or by saying that we have not sinned. Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Does this mean that if you sin, you aren't a Christian anymore? Well, no, that's not the case. It can't be, as we see in the rest of the letter. But what John is saying here is that if you claim to have a relationship with God, and yet your attitude towards sin remains indifferent, and you continue to live in unrepentant sin, then there's something wrong that's going on. It seems that you're, you don't actually know who God is, that He is light. Your words don't match up with your actions. You say one thing but practice another. As Jesus explains in the Sermon on the Mount, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. The second deception is in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then the third in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. These two are very closely related. Both claims are about not sinning, but in verse 8 it leads to self-deception. In verse 10 it leads to blasphemy, claiming God to be a liar. This way of thinking can lead to wrongly think that as a Christian you can be perfect in this life. Or that thinking that you're a good person that doesn't really need to repent of anything. This first error is the idea of sinless perfectionism. It's not a biblical idea at all. It is only in glory when we are finally united with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, when our faith is turned to sight that the presence of sin will be removed from our life. It's only when Jesus returns that we will be made perfect. The second error is thinking that we are generally good people who will be accepted by God because of what we've done, how good we've been. And this is a lie from the depths of hell. Each and every one of us, due to our rebellion against God, has tried to remove God from our life. We've tried to put ourselves on His throne. Every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God and in need of repentance, the forgiveness of our sins. The good news is that there is a solution for all these wrong ways of thinking. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, 
he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's only when we are honest with ourselves and with God, when we stop denying our own sinfulness, but when we confess that we have walked in darkness, that we are sinners deserving of God's true and right judgment, it's only then that we find forgiveness for our sins. The solution to our sin problem is not denial of our sin, but the confession of our sins. And the forgiveness that God freely offers through the sacrifice of his one and only son for us and for the whole world. So brothers and sisters in Christ, you can have confidence in the Christian message. You don't have to be ashamed of the word of God because it's based on the testimony of those who heard, who saw, and who touched Jesus. The evidence that Jesus really is who he said he is is overwhelming. And you can have assurance of salvation because if you confess your sins, God who is rich in mercy is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your salvation does not depend on your own performance or your good works, but on Jesus Christ the righteous, for he is the propitiation for our sins. It is his blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of comfort. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will refresh you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.